Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Dimitri Coombs, who's a fourth-year resident at the Cleveland Clinic. Dimitri is originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. He completed college at Westminster College and medical school at Drexel University. His academic interests include craniofacial surgery, aesthetic surgery, breast implant-associated anaplastic large-cell lymphoma, and medical student and resident education. Dimitri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, and it's great to tell you about our program. So I'd love to start with big picture overview of what your program's like at the Cleveland Clinic. So our program is a six-year integrated program, and we do have some independent residents, but we can get into that later and how they fit into the milieu. But suffice it to say, if you were applying right now, you would be applying for a six-year integrated spot. In the first year, there's anywhere from four to six months of plastic surgery, dedicated plastic surgery rotations. That being said, you know, a lot of our service collaborates with the other surgical services. So many times, even though our residents may be on or our interns might be on colorectal, they're going to stay for the VRAM portion of the reconstruction or what have you. And then basically by the time you get to a two, 90% of your time is spent on plastic surgery. And then by the time you're a three, Aside from maybe, I think, um, a month on orthopedics hand and then a, uh, a month or so on the breast service, you're, you're basically general surgery breast. You're basically all plastic surgery all the way. So where are some of the places that you rotate through? We're primarily at the Cleveland Clinic main campus, which is, you know, metropolitan Cleveland. But we also spend a fair amount of time at some of the satellite hospitals that have been acquired by Cleveland Clinic some of which are level two trauma centers or provide specialized care for certain patients in those communities. A lot of ambulatory surgery centers, uh, you know, the Cleveland Clinic's a very big place. And then we also recently, uh, this year, we've done kind of some new things. So we now uh, have one month a year where the resident will go to the VA. And that's basically starting at, I believe, year two, all the way up into year six. And so it's a lot of elective hand, some breast reconstruction, and some hospital-based reconstruction. We spend a month as fives and a month as fours at Akron Children's Hospital, which is a freestanding, you know, renowned children's hospital. And then uh, we also get most of our trauma experience. Uh, every month, two residents will go, and they spend two months a year there at uh, Metro Hospital, which is basically the county hospital level one trauma in Cleveland, multiple gunshot wounds a night. It's crazy. It's fabulous. The attendings are great. It's really probably one of the one of the favorite rotations amongst the residents. And so do residents usually spend a whole month at one site or within one month, do they go to different sites? So usually it's every month. Our rotations change on a monthly basis, but sometimes, you know, it may just be however the schedule was contrived that you're at, um, you know, the Metro County Hospital for two months in a row. It's unusual, or you may be on like our micro breast service for two months in a row. It just kind of depends on how they build the schedule. So you mentioned you do have some independent residents. Can you tell me a bit more about how those fit into your program? Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, the Cleveland Clinic program was an independent fellowship, meaning, you know, general surgeons coming for two or three years. 
And probably seven years ago, they decided to transition to a fully integrated residency, originally matching two residency years. So my co-resident Trip and I matched as, uh, as one of two. And, uh, you know, the hospital's gotten so large and the volume is so expansive and there's so many sites now that you really can't, uh, you need more than 12 residents because you got 15, 16, 17 staff. So what we've started to do is slowly, we've started to take more integrateds on the front end. And then on the back end, we've got some fabulous uh, residents from general surgery programs that have graduated from Maryland, from North Carolina, from New York that are coming to spend basically years four, five, and six with us. What's the interaction like between the integrated and the independents, whether that's on the floor or in the OR? It's by no means malignant or problematic. Uh, we get along great. We hang out together. When I was an intern or a two, one of the general surgery guys and I would hang out like, you know, every weekend. And basically, I think they've already put in their time learning how to be a doctor. Now they're learning to be a plastic surgeon. We're putting in both of those at the same time. So it's kind of harmonious, but it's a good time. You know, we, uh, we have input in, in getting them, and, and it's a great experience, I think, for both of us. And are there any fellows? There are, yes. So what we do is we have basically four fellows a year. Dr. Zins, who is our chairman, one of the longest chairmen in plastic surgery, has an aesthetic surgery fellow, and he basically you know, handles whatever Dr. Zins needs him to and spends most of his time with Dr. Zins. Uh, he does staff the chief resident clinic, so you'll spend time with the Zins fellow. We have two microsurgery fellows that are fully trained plastic surgeons, and then we have a craniofacial fellow. The craniofacial fellow splits his time between the main campus and Akron Children's, and the microsurgery fellows split their time between, you know, whatever microsurgery cases there may be in there. We're certainly not being boxed out or vice versa. Can you tell me a bit about the research expectations? Like many things in life, the research expectations here are, you know, kind of whatever you want it to be. On a basic level, the expectation is, you know, try and have one project a year, do one project, present it at a meeting, and ideally get one paper that year, every year. Now, I will tell you, you're more often in a position where you're saying, no, I can't take any more projects than you are looking for projects. So me, for instance, having been here for so years, I've written a paper with probably everybody in the department uh, except for a couple of them. And the staff are great. You know, the breast, uh, our breast micro guys collaborate with the breast surgeons and have a lot of multidisciplinary papers going on. We have a ton of stuff in face transplants because of our experience in that you know, craniofacial papers, there's like no limit to what you can find, basically. And what kind of support is available once you are ready to present that research? So our department's pretty great in this regard. Basically, if you write a paper or you do a project and you decide to submit that project to one of the approved meetings, and I think there's like six or seven, um, ASPS is basically, you know, we'll use that as an example. The department will pay for you to go to ASPS to stay there, to be a part of that meeting, to present your talk and have a great experience. I think beginning is a two. I had some, some papers that were carryovers from medical school and went as an intern to like ASRM. We've kind of started to curtail international travel, but we've had residents go to Mexico. Um, I went to Paris last year. So it's really kind of like if you want to put in the time, they'll help you to get where you need to be. So even like for some of those international conferences, 
they weren't necessarily on like the list of those big six, but they were still able to support you to go? Correct. You know, I mean, I think if you have a good project and, you know, you're polite and energetic and you go and say, hey, you know, I'd like to do this, help me out, you know, usually they'll find a way to help. We're in the business of like helping you, not, you know, penalizing you by any means, because it makes everybody look good. Is there any opportunity for elective rotations, more so in the later years of training? So there are. You know, historically, when we had maybe one or two integrated residents a year, we had these guys that one was from Peru and Colombia, and they would try to go back home and do electives there. So we don't really do do foreign electives anymore. Recently, we've tried to limit electives to staying in Cleveland. But there are a lot of different ones. You know, Dr. Guy Ron is here in Cleveland. I don't think anybody's done an elective with him yet. Um, a lot of people like to go do electives on the ortho service for hand. We have a very, very famous congenital hand uh, orthopedic surgeon here. We'll talk more about this later, but we have one of the most famous uh, abdominal wall reconstruction surgeons probably in the world here. So you can go do an elective with him. You know, it's kind of like whatever you want to do, you can sort of go do. You just want, should tailor it to your, your interests, your education. And, you know, we've had chiefs that want to spend a month or two with Dr. Zins before they leave, and they kind of do a, like a mini fellowship sort of a thing. It, it really just depends on what you want to build. Is that usually like one month, two months? How is it spread out in the senior years? I think usually as year five, you have one month, and then I think year six, you have two. But it just sort of depends on the overall clinical volume you know, kind of where everybody is. And we're sort of at a place where we've acquired a lot of hospitals and we're now, you know, adding residents to kind of meet the demands of a program where it's usually just one staff and one resident or the staff and their nurse practitioner operating, you know. It seems like there's a lot of flexibility to do different electives within the Cleveland Clinic system and possible to do them outside, but usually more encouraged to stay within. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, you can basically do anything in the Cleveland Clinic system you want to do an elective on. It's no problem. If you want to go to another hospital in Cleveland, again, probably no problem. Um, we already rotated a lot of those hospitals anyway. Um, you know, Akron Children's would be one that's not in Cleveland proper, but you could go there. But again, you know, I mean, our program director and everybody's very reasonable. So if you want to talk about going somewhere else, you know, I think that's a conversation everybody's willing to have. They're not going to, you know, say, no, that's not allowed, for instance, right off the bat. So you may not be able to take a whole month away for an elective, but are there other opportunities for short-term mission trip experiences? You know, we do rotate with a private practice gentleman who used to go, but that kind of all got curtailed because of this coronavirus stuff. Uh, so we haven't really gotten in, into mission trips like that. But recently with previous residents, uh, yes, they've gone on mission trips and things like that that were organized through Akron Children's. And what's your cosmetic experience like? So I will tell you, you know, probably one of the strengths or one of the places that sets this program apart is our cosmetic experience. We have several faculty that almost all they do is cosmetic surgery. And Dr. Zins is one of the most published faculty on aesthetic surgery of the face. And for instance, one of the PGY3s scrubbed a facelift with him on Monday. I'm doing one with him tomorrow. He has three facelifts a week, rhinoplasties, abdominoplasties, just a million cosmetic breast surgeries. Our residents are, are probably more well-versed in that than in many other places. It's great. 
You mentioned the Chief Cosmetic Clinic. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, the Chief Cosmetic Clinic is awesome. So basically, there's a schedule. Patients call and they ask to be put on the schedule, be it for injectables, be it for more invasive surgery, consultations, and what have you. And sometimes they know the resident and they're, they're here to see Dr. X or Dr. Y. And other times they just want to see one of the chiefs and see what, what there is available for them. And, you know, it's just like your own clinic. You're the chief. You see the patient, examine them, take whatever measurements, contrive a plan, and then talk to the aesthetic fellow. And the aesthetic fellow will basically be in the operating room, but will only be there if you need them sort of a thing for like planning and stuff like that. And, you know, our residency program is such that everyone's like such good friends and has so much fun. A lot of the chiefs will operate together. Like they'll do the, they'll do an abdominoplasty together just because the other one doesn't have anything going on and they want to hang out and spend time with one another. The chief clinic is great and very popular. And it sounds like you have a lot of experience in the early years that then allows you to feel comfortable once it's time for you to book your own patients in the chief clinic. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, our program is very, you know, you show up to the operating room for a breast case and it's, uh, you know, those all the implants are over there. Pick which implants you think you want to put in and we'll talk about why you want to use those ones and then take your measurements and then the staff will kind of roll with it. If you're doing a case with Dr. Zins, be it of the nose or of the face, the pictures are going to be in the operating room when the patient's asleep and he'll say, analyze the face for us. Tell us what you think you want to do. It's very, you know, analytical, but also in like a fun kind of, you know, non-judgmental sort of way. Is moonlighting possible at any point? Yeah, you know, it's kind of nice. The moonlighting situation, there's a lot of ambulatory surgery centers, and it's on a resident by resident and case by case basis. You know, if they'll let you moonlight, let's say you're doing well on the in-service, you've got all of your numbers and there's no reason for you to be spending time elsewhere, then you can presumably moonlight. And what the ortho guys, the ortho residents do is they moonlight at the ambulatory surgery centers, and often they're on our patients. So that's something we're kind of in the works of developing, but nothing's sort of concrete yet. Just because, you know, it's, it's a desire thing. Some people moonlight, some people don't, but there are plenty of other opportunities in Cleveland as well for moonlighting. And is there any exposure to gender affirmation surgery? Oh, you better believe it. A ton of it. So Dr. Isakoff, who's our assistant program director, does a tremendous amount of top surgery. I would say he has two, maybe three a week sometimes. And then Dr. Zins every couple of weeks will have a full uh, craniofacial, you know, facial feminization, facial masculinization, coronal incisions, frontal bone contouring, rhinoplasty, you know, tracheal shape, the whole nine yards. So it's it's we do a lot of that. No bottom surgery, however, there is a, there is a, um, a urogynecologist that does uh, a lot of male to female, but currently nobody here does um, female to male, like phalloplasties. Are the plastic surgery residents involved with the vaginoplasties? There was one resident, my chief last year was really had kind of developed a peripheral interest in that, and he spent a lot of time with her. But again, it's like the clinic is such such a place where like if you don't have anything going on and you rolled into Dr. Ferrando's OR and you're like, hey, I'm from plastic surgery. I have the afternoon off. Can I hang with you? You know, she'd be like, come on. Absolutely. And then otherwise it gets into like elective kind of stuff. So bottom surgery, you would be able to get more exposure to it if you have interest in it. Yeah, everybody's happy to have you, you know, no problem. 
You already mentioned, you know, very strong aesthetic surgery experience. Are there any other areas that you feel like residents come out with the strongest experience in? I would say microsurgery. I mean, there have been weeks where I was on the breast microservice where we had like five bilateral deeps. I mean, it was like out of control. And we do a, a fair amount of head and neck, a fair amount of lower extremity. Uh, definitely the heaviest in the breast micro. We've had uh, graduates of this program that go on and don't do fellowships and come back as staff microsurgeons. Granted, there's a level of talent at baseline, but uh, are, are wonderful surgeons technically. We would probably say aesthetics, microsurgery, general reconstruction would be the ones where the, where the residents are the most well-versed. And how would you improve your program? Before the addition of Metro, uh, I would have said we need more trauma. I mean, nobody likes being up at two in the morning, but you need it to be good, I think. And now we have that. And the trauma experience is incredible. You know, open perilunates, things like that, saw injuries, polytraumas. And then hand. Traditionally, we didn't do a ton of hand, but now with Metro and the VA, I mean, I think I probably did like 30 carpal tunnels, last, 40 carpal tunnels last time I was at the VA. So our hand experience is definitely on an awesome trajectory. And we've had, let's see, the chief last year went into hand. The upcoming chief is going to the Mayo for hand. The five is applying for hand. So there's slowly a group of people that are trickling down the hand pathway. And then the lastly, the thing that I think we could improve upon is we don't do a ton of abdominal wall reconstruction in our plastic surgery department because we have the clinic has Dr. Rosen. That being said, if you want to go spend time with Dr. Rosen, the general surgery people are awesome. They're happy to have us anytime and we rotate with them. Every void can kind of be filled. We spend time on their service as junior residents. So if you show up as a four or five or a six and you're like, hey, I see you have a couple of TARS today. Will you walk me through how you do one before I go into the real world? You know, they love that kind of stuff. You know, these everybody loves having people around. Are any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Absolutely. So we talked about conferences. We talked about if you put in the work, we'll help you go to a meeting or help you, you know, go have a great experience presenting your work. Food stipends, oh, I'm a little removed from this. Early on, as interns and twos, depending upon which hospital you are at, you get food stipends. I think as an intern, you get 600 bucks. At Akron, I don't know, the food card just seemed to magically always work. I don't know how much was on it, but that worked for me as a four. Loops, your loops will be paid for your first year. We like everybody to get three fives for micro and hand. That being said, some, some people decided not to do that. Some people decide to get like, you know, the Cadillac of loops that are, you know, more than maybe 1500 bucks and get all the lights and all that stuff. So they pay a little more. But uh, the department paid for my designs for vision three fives. Special courses and labs. So before coronavirus, we did a lot of stuff with like the Arthrex people, the Striker people. We have great cadaver labs and things like that. I need to tell you about the cadaver lab, though. So Cleveland Clinic is affiliated with Lerner College of Medicine, which is, I think, one of the only full-ride five-year medical schools in the country. It's also the only medical school in the world that doesn't use embalmed cadavers. They get 20 to 30 fresh cadavers every month. And literally all you have to do is call and say, hey, Dr. Drake, I would like a head for, for a project or a head to dissect or some arms or some hands, you know. And he says, sounds good. Uh, come down in an hour. Come down next Tuesday. We'll make time for you. Um, we do flap labs down there where they have, you know, full bodies, open, prone, supine, however you want them. 
it's really quite remarkable. And you get an opportunity to, to teach the medical students. I did a pro section for the medical students last week. And then you get to come and teach and hang out with them. That's probably like the neatest thing about this place. So now I'd like to transition a bit to hear about your program leadership. So we can start from the top down. So the Cleveland Clinic is arranged in what are called institutes. And institutes are multiple departments. So our institute is dermatology and plastic surgery. And the head of the institute is Dr. Pape. He is a craniofacial surgeon by training, originally ENT trained, then plastic surgery, then craniofacial surgery. And he was one of the pioneers of the face transplant, the first one in 2008, and then 2014, and then the most recent one in National Geographic. Below him is the department head, the department chairman, which is Dr. Zins. I think he's the longest sitting chairman in plastic surgery, 35 years maybe or something like that. And he, I think he's all pen all the way, med school, residency, fellowship. And then he went to Great Ormond Street in London and did craniofacial surgery. And I think originally he was a craniofacial surgeon in, chil in children in the 90s in Cleveland. And then he transitioned into an aesthetics practice. If you come here or you spend time with him rotating, his passion is totally evident when you mention the word facelift. It's quite awesome. Program director is Stephen Bernard, Dr. Bernard. Pit trained, micro and hand. We'll do deeps, we'll do elective hand, we'll do cosmetic surgery. He's wonderful. You can literally pop in his office anytime. You know, I text him when I have stuff and or jokes or things. He's he's a wonderful man. And then our assistant program director is Dr. Izakoff. Uh, he's uh, I think born in South Africa, but all trained in Cleveland. And then he was a Gyron fellow. He may have been Dr. Gyron's last fellow. And he's awesome too. He does a ton of cosmetic surgery, transgender surgery, and then huge reconstructions for the thoracic guys and the colorectal guys, many of whom he trained with as a general surgery resident when he was here. So it's kind of a nice sort of family thing. And uh, again, he's the same guy. If you have a problem and you walk into his office, he'll stop whatever he's doing. He's, a, he's an awesome guy. And then other notable faculty. I mean, we have many people that have done fellowships, you know, micro with Fu Chen Wei craniofacial surgery, Michigan, hand. We just hired someone who's like an expert in lymphedema surgery, lymphovenular anastomosis. So we're building a lymphedema department, basically. I don't want to bore you. You can kind of peruse the website, but you can tell, I think, that I'm energetic about hanging out with these people. They're wonderful people. Do you have any specific examples of a time when you or another resident brought up an issue to the program leadership and what they did about it? I think a general thing in life is if you don't complain a lot, people are going to listen when you do complain. And so there was a time when my co-resident Tripp and I went to Dr. Bernard and it was, it was related to some logistical thing. And we said, hey, you know, we really kind of disagree with this. And he said, send me all your thoughts in an email and we'll get them all on paper. And then he took care of it. And he said, you know, we're going to do what's in your best interest, you guys. And uh, never once have I, you know, had a door closed in my space. Never once have I said, you know, we're not going to do that. It's this way or the highway. It's quite the opposite. They're, they're awesome. Now, if you could tell me a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents. I'll answer that question in two ways. The plastic surgery residents, we all get along well. One of the guys that's a year ahead of me, I think we talk on the phone every day, kind of about what cases we did, you know, joking around, things like that. My co-resident lives down the street from me. One of the twos, Morgan, lives up the street from me. We talk all the time. Pre-COVID, again, you know, we used to have people over to our house all the time and have parties and stuff. And 
everybody hangs out on the weekends. It's a very, uh, you know, help everybody out kind of a culture. We have a lot of fun. If there's a fun case going on, it's not uncommon to see residents trickle into the OR and start having a good time, you know, obviously within the realms of safety and appropriateness. But work is fun. I'll just say that. It's fun to be there. There was a second way you were going to answer the question? Correct. So I think you also have to think of how do the residents get along in other specialties. And some of my best friends in Cleveland here are the urology residents, the general surgery residents, and things like that. You know, and for example, the other day we did a face trauma case and there are two general surgery residents that are buddies of mine that are interested in plastics. And I called them and they came into the OR and just hung out for the morning and saw the case and, you know, learned a little bit. And I mean, that's the kind of environment you want. You know, if I have a question, if it's a general surgery question, I'll, I can call them at one in the morning, you know, if they're on call and they'll pick up and, you know, we have a nice talk. It's, it's really nice, you know, from a plastics, plastics, and then a plastic, everybody else standpoint. So now a little bit more into specifics of how residents live. In Cleveland, are most residents living in homes or apartments? So it kind of depends. I would say most of the people rent their houses, but probably 40% bought houses just because you can get quite a, a good deal on a nice house in Cleveland. And many people pay a mortgage of what you would pay in rent somewhere else, but there's like a million new buildings going up and all sorts of things like that. So it's kind of like we have had some people that live downtown in like kind of a swanky apartment and other people that live kind of more in the burbs. It just sort of depends. But I would say 40% buy, probably 60% rent. You'll find if you come down, so the west side is kind of the fun side of Cleveland. The east side is kind of like the burbs. And so myself, Trip, Nick, a lot of us live, live down on the west side, which is kind of the happening part of town. And are most residents single or married? Do some have kids? What's the breakdown? I think there's only a couple that are single. I haven't really like asked some of the new interns yet just because I haven't seen him around and I've been off service. We have several that are married. One of the chiefs is pregnant. And then one of the chiefs has, I think, two kids as well. Everybody's kind of sort of in that weird limbo of like kind of married, getting married, or just got married. And is it necessary to have a car for your program? It definitely is. We drive around, but not as much early on. I think as an intern, you can get away without having a car. It would be annoying because Cleveland's not like Manhattan. It would be, you know, maybe a little annoying. That being said, you know, Cleveland is not an expensive place to live, and you can get a screaming deal on a lease if you don't have a car. And a lot of the residents send their friends to the same guys, like the Jeep place or whatever. So there's like this community of referring everybody around. It's easy to get a car and afford it. And what else do you like about living in Cleveland? Everybody's super nice, super easy to get around. There's a lot of outdoor things, a little outdoor pockets. Like there's these areas called the Flats or an area called Tremont where I live. Restaurants, bars, there's farmers markets, festivals, and all sorts of things like that. There are other opportunities, you know, more on the east side to, to go out and, you know, hike around and do more outdoor activities. And then, of course, like, duh, what's right in front of us, Lake Erie. So last year, we did a fishing trip with Dr. Pepe and Dr. Yetman and chartered this, like, beat-up fishing boat and went around and all uh, caught walleye. Like, spent a whole day doing that. If you come here, you're going to have to take it easy because, you know, the food is so good and all the drinks are so good, you know, you'll blow up like a balloon. 
that's most of what I wanted to talk about. Any either final thoughts about your program or on the general process of choosing a residency? Yeah, I think a couple things. So I had never been to Cleveland until I applied here and interviewed here. And I think it's easy to dismiss certain states and certain cities and things like that in favor of larger cities. But my thought is, you know, you never know what you're going to find in that city and if that city will speak to you or that program will speak to you. And you'll know on interview day, you know, everybody will be telling you how wonderful their program is and all these sorts of things. But you kind of have to, you know, like a gold miner, sift through all of the mud to get to the gold, right? You know, I'm very happy I came here. I'm very happy they interviewed me. I'm very happy that I was open to Cleveland. And uh, in my opinion, it's the best decision I've ever made. I'm, I'm happy here. It's fun to go to work. And that's when you know it's a good thing. The best piece of advice I'd give to a prospective applicant. This is tough with virtual interviews. But hopefully people will listen to this in a year or two. Look at the attitude of the residents that are in the program when you go there. Some of the residents will be fooling around with one another, having a good time, engaging the students. You know, they'll look like they're, they want to be there. At other places, the residents will be huddled in their offices or on computers, kind of ignoring you, trying to ferociously submit some fifth revision to PRS, you know. So that's a good indicator of, of what the program is like. And I realized that kind of after I had interviewed around when I was like meditating on, you know, God, what am I going to pick? Where am I going to go? And then also, you know, pick a place that exposes you to everything. I think brand names and things like that are important. Uh, but, you know, nobody down the road will know necessarily where you trained or what that means. But, you know, you want to go that's going to give you a network and exposure to some crazy stuff. Because one day, you know, you're going to have to make these decisions for yourself. And you may remember that case you did. And then as far as, you know, opportunities for students, how, you know, things that you can take away from this or things that I can give you that you can call upon later, there's two things. You should check out our Instagram, CCF Plastic Surgery. Uh, we have a lot of great things about our microsurgery laboratory. Um, and much like the cadaver lab, we have the microsurgery lab where you can basically get a rat and they'll set it up for you, the fellows, and you can go down and do any kind of anastomosis, hind limb transplant you want, things like that. And then also, if you go to YouTube and, you know, you type in your browser, it's Cleveland Clinic Integrated Plastic Surgery. There's a, about an hour and a half recruitment video that Dr. Bernard has put together that will introduce you to all the faculty, the place, the hospitals, and just sort of the general environment. And I think it'll sort of help you see kind of what we're about and that it's really a wonderful place to train and why a lot of people end up staying here to work. Those sound like some great resources. Thanks so much for speaking with me today, Dimitri. Oh, it was my pleasure. If there's anything else I can, uh, I can offer or if anybody needs to contact me, you know, I'm happy to give you my email. It's coombsd at ccf.org. You know, anything you need, happy to answer any questions. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.